Welcome to The Pipeline. I'm Corey Morgan. This is the Western Standards Weekly News Opinion Breakdown Show with a panel of Western Standard personalities and folks. This week I'm joined, I'll start on my immediate right with our opinion editor, Nigel Hannaford. Hey, Nigel, how's it going tonight? I always thought I was on your far right, Corey. Well, you're getting farther all I, the time. Yeah, I'm doing my best. But I'm creeping right after you. <laughs> so, and then... Further from Nigel is our news editor, Dave Naylor. How you doing? Good. I don't think I've ever been called a personality before, but uh, yeah, I'll take it. Well, I didn't say it was a good personality, but it is a personality indeed. Mm, right. It's an appreciated one. And yes, so the three of us, plus another, will be talking about things shortly. I'm going to start, though, by talking about our sponsor, which is important as well, and that is the Canadian Shooting Sports Association Uh Guys, I mean, the name kind of says it all. It's an association of people who enjoy shooting sports, whether it's collecting, target shooting, uh, hunting, of course, things like that. We've got a <coughs> government that is trying to take away your right and ability to enjoy all of those things. And if you don't stand up for yourself, they're going to win. And their safety in numbers. Join the association. That's how you do it, guys. These guys are fantastic. They do a great job of holding the government to account and standing up for you and keeping you up to date on what's going on out there. Check them out, cssa-cila.org, or Google it, the Canadian Shooting Sports Association, and uh, take out a membership. It's, it's an investment in your own rights, and uh, you won't regret it. All right. Well, we got a lot to go through today, as always. So we'll start out, as I said, we got somebody else joining us today, and that is our business and energy reporter, Sean Polzer, expert in all sorts of other things, too. But this is where he really shines. And uh, hi, Sean. We've had uh, something we've been waiting a long time for. I guess the, the moratorium on renewable projects has come to an end, and, and uh, Premier Smith's government has, uh, I guess, concluded uh, to some degree what they're going to do now. Yeah, indeed. I mean, it uh, takes effect on March 1st, which is, you know, barely uh, 24 hours away. So it, was, it, it wasn't exactly a bolt out of the blue, but it, uh, it came uh, pretty sudden and it comes into effect pretty quick. So uh, were there, um, I, I mean, I, I read some of the parts of the release. Do you think that some of the changes they've made now to the process would be, could be called significant? They're, gonna, they're going to have a, a, a strong impact on projects? I do. Um, it's the changes are significant, but they're also uh, uh, fairly well balanced, in uh, my opinion. I think um, there's uh, a lot in it that uh, a lot of people have been asking for. So uh, landowners have been asking f about uh, reclamation and uh, not to sterilize uh, class one and two agricultural soils. Uh, the industry has been looking for some uh, certainty to move ahead on on these kinds of projects. Um, even tourism is, is factored in. So now we have a new regulatory process that's in the lexicon of uh, regulation now, which is called a visual impact assessment, meaning that um, these wind turbines specifically uh, will not be allowed to obstruct uh, what the Premier called uh, UNESCO views um, within a range of about 35 kilometers or build these things in people's backyards or even on Nose Hill for that matter. Okay. Well, I mean, what do you think, guys, though? I mean, from what you've read on that, do you think that the, the right, Dave, the, you know, the right balance has been struck? I mean, was there a problem to begin with? That's a question a lot of people are asking. You know, to me, it seems like a lot of common sense. It's going to be an agriculture first uh, policy, according to, uh, to Smith. And, you know, we need as much agricultural land as, as we can get uh, coming in the future. I think the, uh, what Sean talks about, we don't want our views spoiled 
so they're not going to be able to put up uh, a wind farm in front of head smashed in uh, in Buffalo Jump. Uh, I noticed there was when she announced the moratorium, there were 13 projects in the waiting list. It's now doubled to 26. Uh, so there's a lot of a uh, lot of interest. A lot of people want to get going on these projects, and I guess some of them are going to be uh, uh, off off and running quickly. Uh, but yeah, to me, it just all seems common sense stuff. Very much so. You know, the first time that I drove down to Pincher Creek and I saw that long line of windmills stretching right across the horizon, I, I confess I was in, I was interested, I was intrigued. I thought, is this the way of the future? <clears throat> Maybe there is the odd landscape where you can tolerate that because it's interesting. You don't want it everywhere. It just, you just do not want that everywhere. And so having some kind of uh, restriction on where you can put wind generators is to me, a very, very sensible thing, but the really big one is making sure that there is a plan to recycle these things after they have lasted their 20 years. I mean, when you think of something that high, I believe the Premier herself used the comparison of the Calgary Tower once. Well, whatever you see above ground, you're going to see a lot below ground if you could, but look. And all that's got to come out again in 20 years' time. Uh, there needs to be some provision for it. And to me, that affects, when you take that into account, you have to wonder what the payback and what the true economics of these things really are, especially when they don't do the job for you when you want it most. Yeah, orphan wells are a huge problem in this province yeah. and a, a very, very expensive problem. And I this think uh, often wells too. Yeah, I think uh, the government realized that uh, you know there's a way to stop that from happening, and uh, you know put in a plan before these things get built. So again, common sense. Yeah. Well, so in Sean, you know, you follow these issues, of course, much more uh, directly than I do. Economic feasibility. I mean, there's been quite a rush for these. There's a lot of people wanting to set up new projects, whether it's solar or wind. Is that uh, driven mostly, though, by subsidies, or is there really s some money to be made here? I mean, that's what I get down to with the nuts and bolts, and, and now has it become less viable due to the regulations? Well, <clears throat> I think that uh, that's a question that uh, still needs to be determined, and it's going to depend on a lot of these uh, federal environment uh, policies with respect to uh, clean energy regulations and the types of credits that uh, they're probably eventually going to have to uh, put on offer. Uh, uh, there was some concern that a lot of these projects were being built merely for the credits and not uh, for the actual power that they provide. And I think that uh, this policy addresses some of those issues by requiring um, the backup, uh, to have the base load backup installed, you know, when the, uh, the Premier mentioned on January 13th, you know, 5 o'clock, the sun went down, you had zero solar, you had 7 megawatts out of 6,000 megawatts of wind installed that were blowing. So I think that they've um, really done their homework on this and that they've really tried to come up with something that would balance the, the needs of uh, both the developers and the landowners. In terms of the reclamation, um, Minister Newdorf did make a comment about... Um, the, the basic principle 
of uh, reclamation funds, whether it's going to be paid into a bond to the government or whether it's going to be directly negotiated with landowners, is going to be based on oil and gas. But he also noted that there's uh, several significant differences between oil and gas projects and some of these renewable projects, both in terms of the, the scope, uh, the products that they provide and, uh, and the impacts that they cause, you know, uh, one of them being the visual impacts, which is, you know, it's purely subjective. But I, I think they've built in a lot of flexibility around these things, uh, where they're going to take uh, a lot of these factors into account on a case by case. I, you know, I would note, and, and I did ask, um, because the changes only applied to these new projects that are coming after March 1st, you know, what happens with the land reclamation and the, the liabilities on these uh, projects that are already installed? And uh, basically, the answer that I got there is that that is going to be basically based on a case-by-case -case basis. So it's more this uh, flexibility that's been built into the whole thing. Well, I mean, hopefully we, we see some stability out of this. I mean, it, it was kind of a, uh, you know, I, it, it gave me qualms a little bit as a free market, you know, uh, libertarian sort. I don't like to see, you know, if it's not being subsidized, I, you know, a moratorium gives me chills, but uh, and it also scares away investors quite often when these kinds of things happen too. Uh, do you think that maybe though, uh, Nigel, the, the balance has been hit that the investors can feel comfortable? Oh, they're saying they will, but the investors who we really need, who are still not feeling comfortable, are the ones who are ready to go and put in a natural gas-fired generating plant that you can switch on the moment that you need it. That's wow. The people we've got to get back, and they're the ones that have been scared off by the uh, federal plan. Yeah, well, we're never going to get away with it from, from our needs for on-demand power. I mean, that, that's just uh, there's no getting around it. The sun doesn't shine, the wind doesn't blow. We are out of luck. Um, but we don't want the southern part of the province to be one giant solar farm, do we? No. Uh, you know, and there's probably enough companies who would want to do that. Uh, so we would, there has to be some sort of regulation. Well, you know, Sean was down in Southern California and he visited one of these deserts where they had turned a, a, turned it all into a solar farm. What was that like, Sean? It was absolutely ghastly. It was uh, the most uh, horrific thing I think I've ever seen. Um, and uh, I was there uh, in the you know Palm Desert uh, in Joshua Tree in uh, December and January. <laughs> Can only imagine what it would be like when it's uh, 45 degrees but um yeah um and you know just even in terms of uh, when we're talking about eyesores when you when you come through that uh, pass through palm springs there's still the wreckage of like there's been wind turbines in that region for decades and the old turbines are still there and they've never been reclaimed and a lot of them have broken blades and they don't turn and in the meantime, they've been building up all the way around it in uh, Coachella Valley on uh, both sides of the mountain. And uh, it, it, it's just, it's run amok. And uh, after, after I came back from that trip, I was uh, sincerely hoping that something like that would never happen here in Alberta. And I think that we tried to strike the right balance. I mean, we have industry in this province. Uh, Obviously, we have coal mines. There was talk of uh, whether or not these visual um, restrictions would apply to, uh, you know, coal mines, that uh, cement plant uh, on the way out to Banff or, you know, even uh, natural gas and oil refineries. And um, 
the premier has left the door open to it that yes indeed that this uh, visual impact assessment might become just a standard part of the way that they do environmental impact assessments on any other kind of major projects so i i, I was quite uh relieved and uh, impressed that they would even take the time to think about something like that yeah. um another point i would like to add that's um these there's a few things in this policy that haven't been addressed so one of them is a transmission policy that uh, the premier said was a mess that was left over from the former ndp government when they retired the coal-fired plants um early they didn't come up with um, a transmission policy to uh, regulate the transmission lines. So that's coming. Um, and there's also talk of um, bringing in policies for uh, rooftop solar in the, in the urban centers. So this policy is directed more at agriculture, but now they're, they're basically going back to the drawing board and they're going to draw one up for uh, urban centers to uh, incentivize solar panels on you know, rooftops in downtown. And also to address some of these consumer issues. And in California, they've got a lot of uh, issues with these uh, long-term contracts on these uh, rooftop solar providers that are putting uh, solar panels on the rooftops of the movie stars' homes, you know, so that they can charge their uh, electric uh, Lamborghinis. And uh, there's a bit of dissatisfaction there. So they're they're coming up with a policy on that too. And uh, Minister Neudorf made one very interesting comment. Um, because I asked him about putting a wind farm on the top of Western Tamal, which would be one of the, you know, the biggest uh, solar farms in uh, Canada. By having the solar in the urban areas, what you are in effect doing is reducing that demand. So when you get these cold temperature spikes like we had in January, and you know the system is going on to overload. Basically, in the urban areas, they're kind of taking care of the power. You know where it's needed most so that you don't have to transmit it over uh, hundreds of miles from uh, Pincher Creek or uh, Epcor in uh, in uh, you know uh, the Lake District or whatever they have out there around Edmonton. So I I was quite impressed and I and I think it's a very well thought out policy. I think it's a fair policy and I also think that it's workable and I think there's enough flexibility in it to. Um, adapt for uh, contingencies, unforeseen contingencies as they arise. The, the big question is obviously going to be the federal government. Uh, you know, Jabot was going around and, and saying that Premier Smith, you know, is basically trying to sabotage uh, renewables and electricity. But uh, I didn't get the sense that that was what the aim of this was at all. I think, I think it is a very balanced approach, a very reasonable common sense. And uh, I applaud all right. Well, I appreciate your interpretation of it and the applause that, uh, you know, hey, it's a, it's hard to find, uh, you know, policy that's inspiring enough to, to give applause. And she, Premier Smith will probably appreciate it because, I mean, the way these politics go with the federal government, I mean, she could invent the perpetual motion machine and Gil Bo would crap on her because it killed off the killer whales of Saskatchewan or something. So, Well, and something that's so, uh, you know, it, it was very emotional, like on both sides, because the landowners were you know, really upset with these things going up. But uh, it's also very wonky, you know, kind of, pol you know, policy, like, you know, who understands like base load generation and terawatt hours and, you know, supplying the grid during uh, peak periods and stuff. And, uh, and I really have to hand it to the premier for doing her homework because uh, she very rarely gets caught flat footed on, on these types of issues. And uh, um, she's done her homework. It's, Absolutely clear to me. You know, Sean, she's been doing homework on that file for a very long time. 
before she was ever in politics, before she was at the Calgary Herald, before she was even on the school board, she was doing property rights in Alberta. And she said as much. She said that. that. Yeah. She's got 25 years into this. She knows her stuff. All right. Well, we'll let you go back to uh, translating that uh, eye-glazing energy policy for the, for the rest of the readers and viewers. I appreciate that, Sean, and uh, we will uh, talk to you again soon. I'd also like to note, too, that okay. the Premier was wearing pink at her press conference in Edmonton today. So uh, she got the memo, and I, th and I think um, it, it's basically anybody who's ever been bullied probably got that memo. So I would suspect that uh, she's sensitive to those issues as well. Well, you know what they say, Sean? Pink makes the girls wink. <laughs> but Sean's wearing pink, too. He is. Must have been bullied in his youth. Yeah, well, I think a lot of us were, but uh, I didn't think to wear it today myself. But uh, great. Well, I appreciate it, Sean. And uh, we'll try not to, you know, flick your ears or anything on the way to the lunchroom later. And, uh, <laughs> we'll see you after the show. Each yeah, thanks. Other. thanks a lot, guys. So, yeah, it's uh, whenever Prime Minister Trudeau's antics or actions or things from his government make the news south of the border, it's rarely a good thing. And, and the, the latest uh, Ukraine military initiative is, is no exception to it. Uh, Greg Gutfeld, a commentator and comedian down at Fox News, uh, turned his cannons towards our Prime Minister. And uh, it was quite something to listen to. And it's quite an issue. So I'll, I'll let you guys watch that. And then we can talk about this, this latest uh, brilliance from the Trudeau regime. So how do you know when you've reached peak idiocy, when we now need diversity guidelines for clearing landmines? It seems Canada has just donated four million bucks toward an effort to clear landmines in Ukraine, but in a gender-inclusive manner. Because if there's one thing we can agree on concerning the war in Ukraine, there simply isn't enough gender-inclusive mine action, right? But let's be clear up front, anyone in charge of clearing landmines is way braver than I am. I can barely clear my driveway. <laughs> and if it's something you accept as your job, I don't care if you're white, black, gay, trans, or identify as a cabbage patch kid. But it's, oh, look at that. But <laughs> how did anybody like those dolls? Yeah, I never Hideous. saw Hideous. Anyway, but it's not about the dolls. It's about how DEI insanity has infected everything. It used to corrupt only the places where useless people were, like academia or media. But now it's airlines, medical school, and war, even landmines. I'm sorry, I'm thinking with landmines, maybe inclusivity shouldn't be anywhere on the list of priorities. The list should be pretty simple. Competence, patience, steady hands, and balls the size of the Las Vegas sphere. <laughs> So there we have it, woke at its finest. You know, woke has hit the war, uh, kind of as, as Mr. Gutfield. Those cabbage patch dolls are horrible too. I have to agree with him on that front as well. For those not old enough to remember that god awful craze, I'm glad it's behind us. But really, you know, all you're worried about is clearing minds. I mean, this is about as basic of a complicated task as you get. I don't care about the gender or anything else. We want somebody to safely remove an explosive device without killing somebody and and Leave it to Canada. Imagine, imagine it, attaching such a, a requirement to a donation for landmines, right? I mean, there's, I don't think there's, there can't be much more dangerous work in, in any military. And to, to be worried about this sort of stuff is, is just ludicrous. The, the comedy writers in, for these shows, late night shows in, uh, 
the United States, this is just gold for them. You know, every time Trudeau opens their mouth, they're, uh, they're paying attention. Oh, there's probably a direct feed from Canadian press or something. Um, you know, the, uh, the one thing you can be sure is that the Ukrainians aren't going to argue about it. They will accept the money and then they will carry on doing what they've always been doing. And unless there's some special animus that they have for trans people, they won't make this part of the qualification for, uh, for being on the bomb squad. It's just not going to happen. But what I thought was interesting was a little bit further. We haven't got time to play the whole clip, but they went to where this stuff actually originates from, and it's the United Nations. They're the ones who published the original gender-inclusive for anti-mine operations manual. The one they illustrate on the show is from 2019, but it actually started in 2010. I looked it up on the web, and there it is. It's, uh, so they've been going on about this for 14 years. But trust, now I can say, you know, in the Harper years, which I can speak to, nobody paid any attention whatsoever. I never heard of it. It wasn't discussed, wasn't talked about. It wasn't even joked about. Nobody took any heed of it. Leave it to this prime minister and his fascination with below-the-belt politics to bring this out and write it into the script So as, as they do the money. But this starts with the UN and the the serious question in all of this is what else starts at the UN and finds its way into Canadian politics? There is actually quite a list. Well, I think a lot of serious leaders, we don't have one, well, serious leaders are starting to dismiss the UN. I mean, uh, the mm. UN, you know, WRA debacle of them basically facilitating terrorists and just, you know, ongoing one, one thing after another, you know, Iran on, on human rights uh, panels. And it, it, it's it's a sad organization. I mean, it exists and countries take part, but it's only woke virtue signalers like Trudeau who actually jump on and impose some of that stuff into policy. Yeah, you don't see many of other world leaders, if any, uh, jumping on, uh, you know, diversity and mind clearing. I mean, the UN started to lose credibility when the head guy had the same first name as his last name, Boutros Boutros. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the, U the UN is, is a uh, is a failed organization and, uh, uh, you know, uh, goes through a lot of money, goes through a lot of budgets, uh, a lot of countries, uh, you know, donations to the UN, for lack of a better word, and uh, we're not getting our money's worth, I don't think. Well, you know, Dave, you call it a failed organization, and in the manner that you mean that, I totally agree. But because of uh, the UN, we nevertheless have... UNDRIP, the United Nations uh, Indigenous Rights of Indigenous People, which has now been adopted by BC and is seriously influencing the way that uh, development takes place in that province. It's also, a, it's also adopted by the government of Canada. Uh, we have the whole UN climate change apparatus that he is slavishly uh, following. Uh, we have umpteen protocols that we have signed on for everything from protecting endangered species. And I'm not against protecting endangered species, but I, uh, I think we need to pay a lot more attention to how we do it. There's, there is a long list. I won't bore you with the whole thing. The UN is dangerous if you take it seriously. And the problem here is that Mr. Trudeau does take it seriously. 
And that UNDRIP is a big one. I mean, it shut down the jade mining in BC, for example. Um, and that, that is the Declaration on uh, Indigenous uh, Peoples. Rights of Indigenous Peoples. And, really and it shows, I mean, I just to throw one last shot, but the hypocrisy of the UN where they start saying that they've got these rights because the Indigenous people were there first and yada, 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 till it comes to Jews in Israel. Then in that case, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. they don't deserve to be there. Uh, there's you, a big of a, bit of a double standard. You look at people like uh, Steve Engelbo, uh, if he's smart enough to realize that hopefully the time in office for him is drawing to a close, He's auditioning for a job at the UN because oh. uh, the pay is pretty good. And uh, profile and travel. I mean, that's what Gilbo <coughs> read. They love having their conferences. They certainly don't stay at the Motel 6 when they're going out there and uh, fly coach. No, they don't. No, that's... Well, we're making the news. Uh, you know, get, getting on to, I guess, yeah, as you said, with, with Ukraine, they're going to take the, the funds and just use them how they prioritize, you know, they're not going to worry too much. I think about gender parity, they just want to get the mines out of the ground or not get nailed by a anti-personnel uh, missile while they're trying to do it. Uh, likewise with Alberta, I guess, so, you know, to segue in, we got the NDP liberal pharmaceutical plan. Uh, the province of Alberta is basically saying, leave us out of it, give us the money, we'll deal with it. Uh, don't, don't give it to us with those caveats. Uh, I, I mean, Dave, this is just... A deal to cut to keep them in power and save a little face. Exactly. This is this is what the NDP wanted, along with their dentistry plan, uh, and they threatened to pull the uh, pull the plug on the coalition uh, last week. And miraculously, they came up with uh, uh, with a deal. Uh, you know, it's a boondoggle in the making. Uh, it's going to cost billions and billions and billions of dollars every year. Uh, that you know, they're, they're still trying to figure it all out. But even Jagmeet Singh came out and said, "Well, basically, we're talking about." Uh, uh, covering uh, birth control, you know, contraception and diabetes drugs. And, you know, he says, uh, if we want more universal health care, elect more Democrats and more new Democrats. So, you know, it's it's all a political game. Uh, uh, Premier Smith, uh, within moments of it being uh, announced, uh, we want nothing to do with it. Uh, and, and Jagmeet Singh uh, pipes in again. Well, you know, if Quebec wants nothing to do with it. Uh, they, that's OK. But it's not the same for Alberta. So, uh, you know, as the Premier pointed out, once again, Alberta being treated like second-class citizens uh, uh, compared to, uh, to to Quebec. And I'm sure that was the message. Absolutely. I, I, I don't want to be a bore <clears throat> on the subject, but back east, they're building this case that there's a sort of a rebel confederacy out west, which they must protect the rest of Canada from. And comments like that just feed into it. Well, and, and they've said... Uh, an admirable political trap for Premier Smith because you can see the optics that can be played. I mean, playing devil's advocate, you show that big, bad, mean Premier Smith, and then you can wheel out the the, the unfortunate young person with juvenile diabetes who whose parents apparently can't afford the insulin uh, treatment, and, and Danielle wants to take that away from them. Uh, meanwhile, this woman down the road with 27 kids at the age of 40, and it's because she didn't get free contraception. And uh, again, that's Smith's fault. I mean, it's, it's the game they play. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as, as Nigel wrote in his column, uh, there's there's lots of other alternatives. There's you know the Blue Cross, and the Alberta government does have plans in place to to, to help people uh, with medication. Yeah, but, something uh, like five thousand medications covered. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know how many you need to cover, but if they're just talking about this is good for diabetes and uh, birth control. By the way, more below the belt politics. Uh, if that's what if that's all that this is intended to cover, I think we're probably streets ahead the way they are. Plus, 
people with, uh, there are millions of people in Canada who have employer plans. I don't know, it's not been said what the plan, uh, the future holds for those plans. But if the idea is to, in the interest of equality, equity, to bring those to an end and everybody goes on the massive national pharmacare plan, why is that a good idea financially? That's not a charge to the government at the moment. No, and, mm -hmm. and, and they, they want to make it one? I don't want it to be managed by the government. No, I mean, they're not I mean, overly good on monetary policy. I don't know if you've noticed. No, well, he doesn't think about it, does he? No, no, no need. The budgets balance themselves. Yeah. Well, in distribution and logistics and, and deals with the pharmaceutical companies, I wouldn't want to be somebody who is literally reliant to stay alive on some drug or another and now has to rely on the government to source that and get them to them so they can have it free. Mm -hmm. uh, likewise, you know, you could die on a waiting list waiting for a surgeon now. You could perhaps get very seriously harmed waiting for pharmaceuticals that won't get to you because the government dove into an another area they shouldn't have been in. You know, if these Phoenix pay system, oh, yes. ask a federal <laughs> civil servant how they feel now about having the government manage their drug program as well. Yeah, they can't even pay themselves, right? This, this, is, uh, this is not a good idea. No, no. Along the list of ideas, good ideas, bad ideas, let's turn into something, uh, I guess, democratic. We'll see how that unfolds with the pharmaceuticals as it goes. Because uh -huh. part of the, to be fair, one of the things the health minister said is people are jumping on it, but the actual policy hasn't been released yet. Now, the government's playing you know, around, playing politics, leaking bits and pieces. But until we actually see what it is, it is difficult to see exactly what they have in mind, which is irresponsible way to release it, but it's typical. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, so speaking of irresponsible government, we've got uh, the ever popular mayor, Jody Gondek, and the recall initiative is still moving on. Is it, Dave? It is. Uh, we actually had uh, uh, a guy who didn't know that we were in our offices. He was doing everybody in the building uh, come by last week and uh, looking for signatures. A uh, friend of mine, uh, his wife has, broke, has a broken foot, so she put on the uh, on the. Uh, community billboard that she's collecting signatures and there's been a long line of people at her door knocking at her door and and wanting to sign uh, another friend of mine said uh, last friday you couldn't walk through a uh, plus 15 without a uh, uh, a canvasser uh, mm -hmm. there so uh, you know I, I still think like you Corey, it's an impossible number to uh, to 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 achieve but i think they're probably going to get a pretty good number a six figure number wouldn't surprise me uh, you know, but again, it, it all depends on how organized they can get and who organizes it and, uh, and uh, how, uh, you know, how motivated they are. Yeah, they're springing up everywhere. I mean, it was just driving with Judy the other day, down through Bowness, went across the bridge. You know, I just swing around to the, to the west there. There they were, about three cars with big signs, stop here, sign the petition. You know, it's... Uh, you, you mentioned the plus 15, uh, they're going door to door as well. Uh, you know, if, if they get, maybe they don't get 500,000 signatures. If they, if they get 100,000, how much did Gondek win by last time? I think it was just about that amount. Bless my soul. It's almost as if we had a news meeting this morning.
Yeah. We well, don't rehearse this. It's not an insignificant feat to get 100,000 people to get up. And, I mean, we're talking a physical pen-to-paper witness signature. That Plus, all they've got to prove who they are. And, yeah, there's a whole lot of work yeah, to it. To be valid. It has to be witnessed in, in a number of things, which, again, I mean, the legislation, I've gone on about this many times before. It's just not a good legislation. I, I guess we have to ask, do we want recall legislation or not. This kind of brought it to the fore. That's another benefit of this that perhaps wasn't the in intent of the organizers, but it kind of exposed how unworkable the legislation is. As uh, yeah, you know, this was uh, Jason Kenney's promise to his followers, and obviously the numbers don't work for big cities. Uh, so, so maybe you just need to make the limit, you know, a percentage of, of voters or a percentage of, of something. You want, a different, you want a different level in Calgary than you would High River. Uh, you know that 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 sort of thing, but uh, it's it's got to be a I mean, it's it, it is impossible, really, unless. But you know, uh, I think you were talking about it earlier, Corey. What it what it's going to do is is hopefully come up with an organization that will run for city hall as, as almost like a, a slate, like the union candidates who all got in this time, and it's resulted in the lowest ranked council and mayor in history. And that's reflected by the interest in the petition. That is the problem, isn't it? Most conservatives just want to be left alone. It's the other people who want to interfere, who always run for office and then start interfering. But it's going to take something like this for people to say, all right, maybe it's time I stepped up and did my share. Exactly. They get in because of such vo low voter turnouts in municipal elections you know, in, in the 30 percent area. And so, some who are speaking up, which is kind of surprising. I, I've been seeing, I've been watching their Facebook page for this, and they're putting, they're posting all the time about places where you can go sign. A lot of private businesses, bars, coffee shops, even repair shops, you name it. A person who has a storefront, they're they're putting it up there. That's a gamble. Like when I owned my pub and coffee shop, uh, I never did political activities within my pub and coffee shop. I would still get enough people annoyed by my writings outside of there that they'd go on to Google and bomb me with negative reviews and things as it was. But for businesses to stand up and get political is a risk. Mm -hmm. And they've got to be pretty motivated to be saying, you know, I'm going to host this petition in my storefront, in my uh, bar. I haven't seen so much of that, not even with the Olympics uh, referendum or things like that, for example. So uh, even before this recall thing started, wherever you went, whether, you know, talking at the pub with your buddies, it was all about what, what wackos these people are on city council. And, you know, what are they doing? The plastic bag thing was another fiasco. The $80 billion climate emergency, other well, fiasco. Well, I think the thing that, that got a lot of people sitting up and taking notice was when she wouldn't uh, express any solidarity with, with the uh, people of Israel when they, like in the exactly. day after that awful bloody attack. And don't forget the Canada Day fireworks ban. I mean, you know, this is... This is a city council. Have they done anything good? Can, you, can either of you name a single good thing they've done? And, and they've been terribly dysfunctional, too. <laughs> I thought, yeah. you know, the, the fighting and everything going on had peaked with, with Mayor Ninchy, but no, Mayor Gondek's uh, an overachiever. She's outdone him. Uh, Certainly they're has. at each other's throats, and uh, which, again, I kind of like to watch. What's that guy's name? Uh, Landon Johnston. Yes. Landon Johnson. Johnston. For yes. mayor. Well, no, he's he's bad and he's bad in our books today because he uh, didn't show up for Corey. He shirked me and stood me up for he my show, up, but ah, well, he's 
he's not a pro politico and uh you know perhaps didn't set his scheduler correctly or whatnot but it's a, a challenge when i do a live show it's not like i can reschedule but i still wish him the best and appreciate his initiative and effort and in, in trying to get it going he's not getting a christmas card from me now and uh oh well last time on way, you'll change your mind yeah it gave me 15 more minutes to rant about other stuff it's, i've got enough hot air into me to fill the void if a guest no shows mm -hmm. it's still irksome all the same, I wish them the best. And as I said, it's showing some initiative, though. It's showing some pushback, and maybe we'll turn into a little bit of who's going to stand up in the next election and hold these people to account because, man, they're crazy. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully what it'll do is, is get more people interested in running for council who are more common sense. Mm -hmm. You know, the business owner and, uh, you know, who have uh, uh, you know, experience in the real world. Seriously, Dave, I think that's the one really big important takeaway. If you don't like it, you can do something about it. You can run. Outside of the recall, it's our own fault with these terrible, terrible low turnouts mm -hmm. that these people stay in. So you know, gotta look in the mirror a little. Yeah. People hate hearing that statement, but it's true. Well, the rules are made by the people who show up. And yeah. that's what people who don't like this have got to do. Show up. Show up to run, show up to vote. So something we couldn't show up to. There was, there was a big Social event happened for, for certain media outlets, and I, I don't think we got an invitation, Dave. What happened? Unless it's stuck in the mail, Corey. You know, <laughs> the, these things tend to get lost in the mail sometimes. But this was a really good exclusive we had uh, uh, on Monday, and it's been our top story for, for a couple of days now. Prime Minister and uh, top ministers like Stephen Gilbo uh, held a lavish garden party for mainstream media. Uh, there was craft beer. There was wine. There was uh, ice cream of flavors I've never even heard of before, munchies, all sorts of good stuff. And uh, they billed taxpayers $11,000, $11,600 for this. So you had journalists from the CBC and Global and the Toronto Star, all of whom are the major benefits of the $600 million uh, media buyout from the Liberals. So this is just another reminder. Hey, you know, don't forget, we're the guys... Uh, Sign in your paycheck and come on down for a free beer and uh, have a chat with off the record with uh, with the prime minister. And uh, hey, you know what? We'll build taxpayers. Shh. So thanks to the Canadian Taxpayers uh, Federation and uh, uh, the ever watchful Franco Terrazano, he, uh, he got us those documents and we uh, we were able to blow the lid off it. But uh, you know, it would just be nice to get an invitation. Just be nice to be uh, Just so you could decline it. Just so we could decline yeah, it. And I uh, think yeah. I pretty well guarantee you uh, we, we would. So here's the thing, Dave. I'm just thinking about this. $11,000, right? So how many people actually got invites and, and went? Now, it's a fair-sized press corps in Ottawa, but it's not enormous. So what do you think? 100 people? 50 people? Oh, uh, I'm guessing maybe 50 max. Hard to say. Well, in that case, divide your 11,000 by your 50 and you're getting close to 200 bucks. Can a person reasonably put away $200 worth of uh, liquor and, and food and still remain a functional journalist at the end of two hours? I would. Uh, some are pretty good. Some, some of them are pretty good. Some yeah, are pretty good. Years but, of experience. Uh, yeah. The one thing I found interesting was that they billed four thousand dollars for sanitation. Don't you need just like a big trash container and you recyclables here, trash here? You throw. How is that four thousand dollars? Yeah. I mean, yeah, and then the the suppliers know they can inflate the the, the prices oh, hundreds yeah. of times because government doesn't ask and the government just pays. 
You know, one thing about Harper is that he didn't like the media much, so nobody ever suggested having an $11,000 card party in no. 24 Sussex. No, no, I, I don't uh, think you know, if Polly uh, becomes the, the next prime minister, dead or arrival, you know, <laughs> they're not going to come watch him eat an apple well, while he's got him hosted in a garden party out there. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. aside from the laughs and everything, I mean, it's really <clears throat> it harms public trust in the media. I mean, there's still some very good legacy media individuals out there there's still some that are digging in but as the trust keeps getting lost as it looks cozier and cozier and cozier with the government in power it, it's people are tuning out and it's not good for anybody that the legacy media outlets or citizens at this point you know, trust is at an all-time low yeah. all, all the polls uh, show that and uh, this can do nothing but be more damaging to the reputation of the media i mean you are right that there are still some good journalists out there I could name two, but the, um, the it doesn't alter the fact that this was not uncovered by journalists. This was the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and it wasn't. If it wasn't the CTF, it could very easily have been Blacklocks, which is a service that we have a good deal of respect for, who actually go and get stuff that that great. Ottawa press gallery doesn't care about. No, none, think of. none of the uh, journalists at the uh, at the party wrote about it, did right. they? Right. Well, I guess. You know, I wonder if they had to sign a non-disclosure <laughs> yeah. agreement before they got a beer. I mean, maybe that was it. But uh, oh man, it's it's a sad sad. Yeah, I saw an exchange on X between the founder of uh, Blacklocks and CBC, or at least she she quote tweeted. Uh, a CBC story saying exclusive, and it was a breakdown of the stuff found in committee with the, uh, I believe, the RCMP finding things. And she's saying, yeah, the, it was exclusive three days ago when we broke it, wasn't it? Uh, you know, Blacklock's got that. CBC mm -hmm. goes and reheats it, sticks it out, and, and plays it up as if they'd done it themselves. But with the resources they have, you're getting scooped by a two-person outlet. Yeah, and shout out to Blacklock's and Holly oh, and uh, and Holly. Tom. They're uh, uh, they do a great job, and uh, they're definitely. Worth subscribing to. Tom Corsi and Holly Doan, you bet. Yeah, Tom worked for me many years ago, and he's uh, as a ledge reporter, and he was uh, he was one of the best we've ever had. Well, they, they they find the stuff that, as you said, I mean, if the media weren't hanging around at cocktail parties and garden parties with the government in power, they would be finding this stuff too, and they used to. I, th th it is a trend I've seen, though they they seem frantic to hold the leader of the opposition to account. Like I, I've never seen such a a swarm on the leader of the opposition while the prime minister just seems to get a pass at these conferences. You know, where, where's the shouting? Where's the questioning his answers? Where's the not taking Prime Minister Trudeau's answer at face value? You don't see that, but boy, they, well, go they, they, they probably realize that their jobs could be at stake. I mean, if, uh, if Polyev cuts that $600 million uh, uh, giveaway, you know, that's going to be tough times for the, for the industry as a whole. And uh, they don't like Polyev, uh, so yeah, they're and they're, they're gonna they go after him mercilessly. There's no doubt about it. Uh, yeah, you know, I think it is personal. It's, I I sometimes doubt that it's actually a sense that my job is on the line. I've got to take this guy down. It's just that Polyev stands for a whole bunch of values that are not very common in the newsrooms of the nation. And you see some of these uh, juvenile reporters. Kids under 30, they got a degree in sociology and a one-year journalism program. 
and they think they're activist journalists who have to lead the rest of us to uh, to the right answer. And they honestly just don't get it. No, not a clue. Well, oh. and well, at least we're here to offer uh, our balance. Even us, if, us old guys. Even if we don't get invited to all the real good events uh, and things. We'll hold our own parties. That's right. Yeah, every Friday, Friday afternoon. We've had some good ones around here. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I better let you back to the newsroom to earn your keep for the beer for this Friday's party. So thank you very much, guys, for joining today. Nigel, Dave. That's flew by. That's flew by. And yes, thank you all, you listeners and viewers. Be sure to subscribe. We're independent. We don't get garden party invitations or government subsidies. We rely on subscribers. And you guys have been fantastic. Thank you very much to you who have already subscribed to us. And if you haven't already, get on there, guys. WesternStandard.news slash membership. Take one out. Ten bucks a month or I'll use that god-awful statement. It's less than a cup of coffee a day, and it's well worth it. It keeps us rolling. So thanks for tuning in this week, and we will see you all again next week at this time. Canadian Shooting Sports Association. Without the CSSA, our gun rights would have been taken long, long ago. These guys are on the front lines helping to draft smart and intelligent firearms regulations and legislation in Canada, and more importantly, educating the public about how we keep guns out of the hands of the wrong people. To become a member, it's absolutely worth every penny. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.